Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, I have a return appearance of June Lee, the education pastor at GMI Ministries in Fullerton, California. Um, Last time, June and I talked a good amount about some of our you know, agreements and disagreements when it comes to the mixing of politics and Christianity, specifically with republicanism and whatnot. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about our Korean-American identity and how that relates to Christianity. And this is something that both um, June and I, I think, have a real heart for. Obviously, June, you've been um, serving in a predominantly Korean church for quite a while now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience in the Korean church? Um, yeah, how long have you been doing this? I've been uh, serving here at uh, JMI for 15 years. So a <laughs> uh, little funny story. I, I did not grow up in a Christian family, but I started attending church when I was 10 years old, when I moved to Fullerton, just because it was a Korean thing to do. And my parents got invited by their Korean friends. And so I started going to church around that age. I became actually the first Christian in my family back when I was a junior high student. And a number of things happened in my junior and high school years that really um, changed me. Uh, God really touched me. But I also happened to go to a Korean church that was notorious for a lot of fighting amongst elders and pastors. Isn't, isn't that all of them, June? I know. So which is why this church was remarkable is because they were known as the cream of the crop of that one. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, and so I told myself after I graduated high school that I would never go to a Korean church again. And I kept to that. I went to other, you know, white or other ethnic churches. And then when the Lord gave me a full-time calling into the ministry, the first thing he actually had me do was repent of my pride, judgment, and arrogance towards the Korean church. And as I was repenting, I remember the first thought I had was, oh, no, God, you're not going to send me to a Korean church, are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and But I knew already in, in my heart that he was. And, and so I started serving uh, at GMI, had, you know, very typical clashes among you know from first generation and things of that nature but one of the things that the lord has really uh helped me learn and grow is not only korean church history korean american church history and how there's just so many good things that if we can get over the offenses of some of the uh, lackings which are real in the korean church that there is such a deep well of spiritual inheritance that we should be receiving. And God, I believe God has really called me to learn to be a bridge between the first and second generation. So that's my backstory, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, to share a little bit um, for me, I grew up um, going to a Korean church starting around junior high school. And um, I went all throughout junior high and high school. And funnily enough, um, I grew up at a church in San Diego where the senior pastor is now the senior pastor of the church where you are at. And um, that church is kind of was, I don't know if it was a church plant of the church you're at right now or if it's like a sister church, but there was a relationship there, right? There's a lot of people that 
were involved that knew both churches? Well, actually, when Pastor Han went there, it, there was no relationship between our church and that church. It was kind of a dying church when he went there. Uh, <laughs> my understanding is that there was a fight <laughs> amongst the pastors and the elders. Uh -huh. And then the senior pastor <laughs> of that church left, and he literally, out of spite, planted a church right across the street. You're freaking kidding me. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so unless Pastor Han is Holy saying something. Cow. Yeah, so he went into a very weird situation. Uh, and, of course, uh, maybe with 30 people, and then it grew to be the largest Korean church in San Diego at that time. Wow. And then when that's Pastor funny. Han left, there to come here to GMI, uh, that's really when the um, a lot of the bridge, I mean, even when he was there, obviously, because of the relationship, there was a bridge and so forth. So, yeah, Got it. I, I, I understand. Yeah. So that's kind of like my, my home church. I remember um, when I graduated from high school, I went um, to school, you know, in Northern California, and um, I, I got out of the Korean church. And that wasn't like on purpose. I was just looking for a church up there. Um, but what I found is I found this predominantly black church in Oakland and, um, the worship was amazing. It was so amazing. And, and I felt the presence of God and I was like, okay, this is it. This is the church I want to be at. Um, but all of my friends, <clears throat> not all except for one who came up to Berkeley. Um, also they all wanted to go to Korean church. So all, they all ended up at Korean churches. I went to this predominantly black church. So I, I was outside of the Korean church for, you know, four years or something like that. And I loved my experience outside of it. And, you know, while I was out, I'll be honest, I remember feeling like a little bit of um, anger, resentment towards the Korean church. And um, it was more towards my home church. And it's simply because I didn't know about a lot of this other stuff. And this is probably an experience a lot of people have when they go to a new church that has different strengths. And they're just like, wow. Like these things are so great, you know, and then you discover that that church also has weaknesses, you know, just like every church, they all have strengths and weaknesses. But I remember feeling like, man, I wish I had known this stuff earlier. Like they were really strong at prophecy. They were really strong at a number of other things that um, were such a great blessing to me in that season of my life. And anyways, when I graduated from um, college, I actually went back down to San Diego. And I remember the EM pastor at the time at my home church came to me and he wanted me to be the youth pastor at my home church mm -hmm. and i told him okay thanks for the invitation but you know to be honest i'm not really interested in that and and he was like well this is your home church and you owe us <laughs> and i was just like i remember being shocked and then i remember getting mad because he was a new em pastor he'd only been there for like a year or something like that i was like i don't know you i don't know you i don't know you know any of the other people there that most people had left at that point i'm like i don't owe you anything all right the people i owe are the people that poured into my life and they're not there anymore so i just remember being like a little bit resentful and mad and um but funnily enough you know god took me through a similar thing where he ended up bringing me back into a pastoral position at another korean church later on in life and um he really gave me such a deep love you know i i i had to repent for you know i i've had to repent you know for judging almost all of my early leaders <laughs> like at every church I was ever at, you know, like, and, um, but you know, that was a big one, like repenting and learning to really love and appreciate the Korean church. And I'm so glad that God um, took me through that because now I really feel like I have a, a, a deep appreciation and a love for the Korean church, which is why we want to do this episode because we feel like it's important. Um, June, I would love it if you could share with our listeners a little bit 
of um, history of Christianity um, in the Korean church. Just whatever you know. I'm I'm not that well versed. I know a little bit, but I would love it to to hear you a little bit. Well, we know that some of the first missionaries to go to Korea was towards the late 1800s uh, because they wanted to take the gospel to China, which had been opened up and, and decimated by the Opium Wars. And they found out that there was actually this country attached to China. They had no idea about it, but they that these people who were educated knew how to read Chinese letters. So then they started to take their Chinese Bibles and actually give it to them. The first wave of American missionaries pretty much got all killed because, I mean, Korea saw what happened to China and they're like, we're not letting these Westerners in. Uh, long story short, though, uh, the next wave of American missionaries really bore fruit. Uh, the ones who bore the most fruit were the Presbyterian ones. There were Methodists, too, and Baptists, but which is why Korean churches are about two-thirds Presbyterian because of the success of the first group of missionaries. But it really was the one country where the American missionaries really saw an incredible uh, move uh, of God. Like, their attempts in Japan, you know, really went nowhere. Uh, China bore some fruit, obviously, but with communism, I mean, and so forth. So, uh, long story short, there was an incredible revival back in 1907, the Pyongyang Revival, uh, where Pyongyang was literally called by the Western missionaries the Jerusalem of the East. And on Sundays, how all the stores closed because there was no business because everyone was at church. And they started this thing called the Million Man Movement, where they wanted to save a million souls in Korea. The eventual fruit of that movement was well over a million people were saved. The early morning prayer movement started. And there was an incredible, um, that revival was spurred on by public confession of sin. So even American missionary confessing his sin of racism uh, towards Koreans, uh, a lady in the church admitting to her affairs. I mean, just incredible levels of repentance and 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 so the North, North Korea, well, there was no North Korea back then. The northern part of Korea was really the hotbed of Christianity with the Korean War. Obviously, communism came and a lot of these Christians moved to the south. Uh, incredible revival happened in, in South Korea in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Billy Graham uh, coming to that country was a flashpoint where even to this day, it, they say it was the largest movement or, or gathering. Right. Even in one gathering, there's over a million people. And of course, with a lot of Koreans, um, I should say, uh, I probably shouldn't forget a lot of Koreans who did immigrate. The first wave of Koreans who immigrated to the States as plantation workers in Hawaii, that was sponsored by Methodist missionaries. And so the first Korean church uh, is in Hawaii. Um, it's still there in that city called Aiea in, in, in Hawaii. And uh, um uh, a lot of those Christians, Korean-American Christians, uh, became prominent freedom fighters uh, during the Japanese annexation of Korea, which obviously predated the whole North and South Korea War. So from 1910, so Pyongyang revival happened in 1907, and J Japan annexed Korea in 1910 until 1945. So uh, Christianity really grew in the midst of persecution and difficulty, and then the Korean War happened. So, so much of Korean Christian history, uh, it 
in some ways I see, I mean, there's obviously huge differences, but in some ways I see kind of similar spirituality with like the black slave uh, spirituality in U.S. history, where there's a lot of this like future hope in heaven because the pre present was so bleak. Yeah. And um, it really grew out of that place. So there's a real depth and a strength to that movement. Well, there may also be some, you know, baggage too. But anyway, when a lot of Koreans started to immigrate to the States in the 60s and 70s uh, and even 80s, we know that, you know, Koreans obviously miss their people. And then the one place they could see other Koreans was the Korean church. And so uh, the percentage of Koreans going to church was way higher in the United States than back in Korea. And there was actually a really significant move of God that happened in the Korean American church in the 70s uh, and even 80s, where at some point in the 80s, they say 80% of people in the SoCal area, Korean Americans, uh, they attended church. And almost 90% of people in the Chicagoland area back in the 80s attended church so wow. a huge you know and it wasn't just they wanted to go meet other koreans and food but it was a real revival that happened which obviously is kind of hard to resource and such because it's such a recent history and it's a, such a small subset of people mm -hmm. uh but i do think that some of those things are very important for us as um you know here in the year 2021 for those of us who identify as korean americans there's a real deep riches of Christian history, not only in Korea, but amongst Korean Americans that I think is important for us to be connected with, yeah. since our faith is, does not happen in a vacuum, but it's a received tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for sharing um, some of that history. Um, about um, a couple years ago, I was praying, and um, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, this is what he said to me. He said, Dennis, this upcoming generation of Korean-American um, church leaders are despising their inheritance. And I remember he spoke that to me, and I didn't know what that meant. I was like, okay, God, what, what does that mean? You know, and um, I just started praying into it. Initially, I was like, well, maybe that's something to do with prayer. You know, mm -hmm. maybe we're not praying like our, um, you know, last generation did. And I looked and I saw that that's probably true. Like, you know, the last generation, they, they do morning prayer every day. Our generation, like, barely does morning prayer um, when you look around at all the different Korean churches. And um, and so I started preaching on morning prayer and the importance of prayer. And, and then I remember I got a call from a, a friend of mine um, named uh, Jason Nettles, and he he calls me and he says, hey, Dennis, uh, me and a couple of other um, Korean-American leaders, we just feel like the Lord's telling us that there is an inheritance, a Korean-American inheritance that we have to seek after. And so we've decided to gather in Kona over the summer. And um, so we we went to this conference and I went there, you went there um, to this conference in Hawaii. Um, I, I'm really curious what, what your um, experience was there. And what you felt like God showed you, because honestly, for, for me, June, this is one of those words that it feels like a puzzle that more and more just keeps getting unlocked for me. As, but I have a feeling like I'm, I'm still um, only at like, I don't know, 30, 40 percent of understanding of that word that the Lord gave me. So I feel like I'm still seeking to unravel this mystery. Like, what is this inheritance that we are despising? Right. Mm -hmm. And what what does it mean to to not despise it, to, to honor it and to value it. And um, 
I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit of your experience at this conference, and then we can talk more about that in general afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, the first thing, of course, that would come to me is prayer. And I remember I, I lived in Korea for about six months as an adult. Uh, I was I had a job in Korea, and actually that's where I received my calling into the ministry. I came back to the states, but uh, I, I noticed how all these people from different parts of the world were coming to Korea. Uh, these Christian leaders were coming to Korea to learn about prayer and how to bring it about in their churches. And you know, the first thought I had was for us here in the states in Korean churches, like they're like right here in our same building, there's people traveling across the world to come to Korea to learn on prayer. And here we are despising our inheritance, so to speak. And we're thinking, oh, that's okay. I'm like, that's not necessary. Early morning prayer and this and that. And I think largely um, I, I am very thankful and I celebrate the fact that there's a lot of churches started by second generation uh, Korean American pastors. Uh, that are largely, you know, uh, Pan-Asian or Korean-American and so forth. And I think that's just a natural evolution of our immigration history. And I think that's something to be celebrated. But the one thing that I have a little bit of uh, uh, reservation is that I think a lot of those churches uh, really model themselves after kind of the mega churches, predominantly white mega churches, and think that that is the way to go because of the predominant culture. But I think like, well, number one, I mean, that's not our spirit. I mean, there is an influence of that, but I think there's a lot of good things that we can take from our inheritance, from our heritage. And yeah, the expressions is going to be different. Language, culture, these things are different as we have grown up here in the States, but we can't lose that heartbeat. So prayer is a huge thing. I think there is a certain level of dedication and sacrifice that they have that we do not have. Quite frankly, probably because of, in some way, circumstantially, uh, they have this like dog in this that has grown out of this Japanese imperialism slash Korean war, post-war poverty. Like so, whereas most of us here, we grew up in the States and uh, we're not. You know, I mean, if we're all honest, we're probably a little bit spoiled, all of us. And so I think there is a little bit of a lack of that kind of doggedness as well and, and that dedication. And I think in some ways we're reactionary. So then some of our uh, people who grew up under parents were so dedicated to church and they saw how their parents were always at the church and didn't spend time with them and so forth. And that becomes a real hurt. And, and I don't want to dismiss that. But I feel like in our generation, we uh, overreact. A lot of times, I think every generation kind of judges a prior generation and then overcompensates and goes to the other extreme. So then I think in our generation, it's kind of like, no, we got to be devoted to family. Like we got to focus on the family and so forth. And again, I'm not saying... There wasn't real lack and, and, and shortcomings in the prior generation in terms of how they invested into us spiritually. But what I also see is that now it's gone to the other extreme where it's just about my family and then church has just got something on the side. And I kind of feel like our peers, by and large, in a general sense, don't do any better job at really uh, pouring in the faith into their children. They kind of do the same thing that their parents did, kind of depend on the church to do it uh, instead of explicitly raising their kids in the faith. And so I just think there is just a lot of strengths that we 
Uh, it's hard to see the strengths when we are caught up, hung up, and offended and hurt by yeah. uh, some of the weaknesses that we may have experienced personally. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, when we were in Kona, I was struck by um, it, it ended up in, in a lot of ways being a lot like an inner healing conference. <laughs> you know, like, I, and I, to be honest, I was not expecting that at all. I was expecting, mm. hey, we're going to talk about prayer and missions and revival and these things that I think about when I think about, like, Korean Christianity goals and what we're going after. But it ended up being more of like healing and like, oh uh, yeah, like, cause we're with all these younger Korean American leaders and pastors and they all have hurts and wounds and um, feelings of feeling like abused in the Korean church. And, um, <laughs> and this kept, this was sticking out to me because it did feel like the, the Holy Spirit continued to bring it back to this mm. issue of fathering. Yeah. And um, I was struck by that, but I feel like it makes sense to me because what you tend to see is you tend to see leaders like you and I who, you know, serve at the Korean church for a season and they got their eye on these second generation churches or these American churches. And they're like, dude, they don't have to go through the kind of stuff that I have to go through, right? They like work me to the bone at this Korean American church, right? There's like no affirmation, right? <laughs> there's like the, there's politics and like they just use you and then they like trash you. And what what I see happen a lot is leaders can't wait to leave the Korean church. And the thing is, I understand that because in some ways I was the same, right? I spent like 10 years out of the Korean church. And I didn't, I had no plans to go back. I was like, oh yeah, I love being out of the Korean church. And then it took like a word from the Lord. Like, and I was like, and I had to submit to it. I was like, okay, Lord, if you want me to, then I'll do it. And, um, and so I feel like I understood because I went through that. And then the Lord sent me back to the Korean church. And then what I had to do, you know, June, just to, you know, share a little bit for you. I'm I'm a bad Korean, okay? I always tell people that. Like, I don't speak hardly any Korean. I don't really like Korean food all that much, right? And um, so when I went back, um, I served at Thanksgiving Church, another kind of large Korean church in Orange County. And when I was there, um, I actually, uh, I, I got in trouble a number of times, right? I almost got fired one time. And um, it was like a total cultural misunderstanding. When I talked to the senior pastor about it afterwards, you know, he was like, well, you know, you keep looking at me in the eye. And I was like, so? <laughs> and and he's like, and, and you're crossing your legs during our pastor's meetings. And I was like, of all the things, you know, that I thought you could be mad at me about, like, it was not this type of thing. But, you know, he, he blew up at me. And, and to be really clear about this, he's, he's a great leader. Okay, I think he was just going through kind of a hard season in that period. He lost his and he lost his temper with me. Um, as a whole, he's a great leader, but I remember going through that and being like, "Oh my gosh, like this is so unhealthy. Like these this Korean church is so unhealthy." And you know, I've been around the Korean church enough to know that a lot of leaders go through experiences like this where they feel abused, they feel wronged, and I know for a lot of EM pastors, they feel controlled. Like they want, like they have a vision for reaching their community. You know, um, but what happens is the the Korean, you know, um, first generation, they're the ones in control, 
right? They yeah. control the actual money. They control the vision. And and so what happens to a lot of EM pastors is they feel like con- like they can't do what God's calling them to do. And they feel just frustrated. And, you know, in Korean culture, there's this very hierarchical thing by age, right? If you are younger, you are expected to obey without question, you know, the commands of people who are older. And um, it's grading for lots of younger Korean um, American leaders. And so I understand, I understand um, what generally tends to happen in a lot of Korean churches is when, if an EM does well, it usually breaks off and goes and plants a new multi-generational church, right? I've seen that pattern so many times. And the Korean church is struggling, why does this keep happening? And now I'm hearing all over the place, you know, first generation pastors saying, hey, we want the EM to lead the church, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm hearing, oh, we want the EM to be, you know, to be the main congregation of the church and to take the main sanctuary. So I hear the heart shifting. Mm-hmm. The problem is it, I hear a lot of rhetoric, <laughs> but it's really hard to actually make that work because at the end of the day, you know, you actually have to submit in a sense to younger people in the Korean culture that's just so yeah. difficult and so mm-hmm. hard, right? And so, you know, I'm talking about all this in a big picture, but June, I understand why it's so difficult for so many younger Korean American leaders to see themselves either staying in the Korean church or at least leaving on good terms with the Korean yeah. church, right? Yeah. Most leave because they're like, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm never going back, right? Like they don't care about us. They don't care about you know, they don't care about reaching the community. All they care is about is just building a larger community of Korean people. I've heard that sentiment many times. And so when I was at this Kona conference, it was interesting to me that mm. it seemed like it was on the heart of the Lord to heal the yeah. wounds of a lot of these younger leaders. And, um, and yeah, I, I feel like the issue of fathering is a big one. Mm. It's a big one. Like, because um, there's not a great, understanding of spiritual fathering in the Korean church. And yeah. I, I should be really clear here. In some ways, it's phenomenal. Like, my youth pastor was amazing. Like, he really poured into us. He really spent time with us. You don't actually see that in a lot of non, you know, in a lot of white churches. And so you don't mm-hmm. see youth pastors giving that level of personal devotion. And you have huge staffs of volunteers where they're all pouring into the lives of the kids. Like, that is one of the most amazing things about the Korean church. And it's a reason why, if you go to like a UC, half the half the Christians on campus are like Korean. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because you have this culture in the Korean church where the younger leaders really pour into the students on a personal yeah. relational level. And that to me is actually something that's so amazing, so powerful. Um, but for whatever reason, um, it you don't see, like there's there seems to be this father wound that doesn't get healed for a lot of people. And I, I don't know about you, I, you know, there's there's this teaching about spiritual fathering. I wasn't intending to go here, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was kind of making the rounds in a lot of Korean church about spiritual fathering, you need a spiritual father. And um, what I saw is I, lo- I saw a lot of people, including myself, be drawn to that type of teaching. And in, in a lot of ways, there was some unhealthy aspects about it. And what I'm getting at here is what I saw is that a lot of Korean American leaders, they had that longing, right? Mm-hmm. They want a spiritual father. They want a mentor, somebody who's devoted to them as people, not to them as workers in their organization, 
right? Because you do see that in a lot of Korean churches where it's like, yeah, you're valuable to us as long as you're loyal to us. And if you're not loyal to us, then get out of here, right? <laughs> 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 right? And people, but people are longing for, you know, real fathering where, hey, it's, it's, I'm more, I'm more invested in you. I care about you than I care about using you to build some kind of organization. And I see that longing in the Korean church. And to be honest, I've been really blessed to have encountered some leaders in my life who really carry that anointing um, that's really powerful and really healing. Um, but most of those leaders that I found are not in the Korean church, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that seems like a huge area of weakness for us, right? And a huge reason why I think a lot of the younger leaders, they want to leave because they don't, they don't feel like really fathered, they feel used is what I see a lot of times. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I mean, when I was in Kona, I mean, I thought I was over all of that, you know, God had helped me to really be restored, to repent myself of my judgment and so forth. But, you know, in that one night, uh, when some of the, one of the brothers went on this epic rant about his, you know, yeah. and and I felt that breakthrough in my heart too. And some something that really I had repressed uh, which is kind of like anytime I have an opinion, you know, it's like I'm being disobedient. And that really struck a nerve with me because that's kind of how I felt. And I think a lot of us, we carry father wounds with our own dads. And then when we go to a Korean church environment, we feel like that scenario plays all over us, you know, to us again, like feeling like my voice is stifled, like they don't really care to listen to me. It's a one way communication, some of these things. But um, you know, one of the things that I, I've learned to recognize is, number one, the cultural difference is where that kind of one-on-one, -on -one, like, highly relational mentoring, like, I don't really see that existing in that first-generation context. And again, it's not to say that, like, they just don't know how to do, well, well it, it's, it's not something that the people even want or expect. So what I've seen, for example, is amongst our KM pastors, right, and under our senior leader, Pastor Han, none of them have any expectation or even, I, I don't know that deep down inside if they do, but I don't think it's even there. It's like they have zero expectation that Pastor Han's going to take them aside and then uh, mentor them or spend time with them and grow them. For them, that's just not in the equation. So for them seeing him as a mentor is like they observe his life they receive some of his teachings and then they are inspired by that and then they consider him you know to be that spiritual father figure and they have no problems with that i think for a lot of us who grew up here there's a little bit of a different western model to mentoring that we're familiar with and so we long for that kind of relational mentoring but it's not there which is why dennis i believe that some of us uh, who are a little bit older now, I mean, we're not that old, but uh, when 20-some-year-old youth pastors look at us, I, they think we're old, and uh, there is something that we can offer them, because I remember being in their shoes and feeling so lost and wishing that there was someone who could have helped me, uh, guide me through that process. And we don't see that too much because there's not a lot of longevity for a lot of pastors to stick it out, second-gen pastors, so then there's no one there. And I think the biggest problem, honestly, in the Korean immigrant, immigrant church is that there's like no mentoring, no helping like that youth pastor who gets hired to take care of the youth kids, but there's just nothing there. So it's almost like that 
22, 23-year-old youth pastor is like a senior pastor of his own little congregation, right? right? And, and it's so detached. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it's almost like a system set up for failure because you would not, as a company, hire some guy right out of college and then not train him and not oversee him, not manage him at all, and just kind of, hey, just do this job and expect that person to be successful. And I feel like that's kind of the model that we have. And sure. so, and, and then, so then it's a stressful job and they get overwhelmed. And, and, and then sometimes that resentment builds when they get treated like a kid. I mean, I'm 40 years old and some of our pastors still treat me like a kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I, I need to learn to overcome that. And I believe I have, you know, but uh, so, so yeah, there is that difference. I, I think that one-to-one mentoring, that kind of deep relational thing is, is honestly not there at the church level. So I do believe that we need uh, father figures, uh, spiritual father figures who are willing to invest into those people across, certainly across church boundaries. And I believe that has to be fulfilled more from the second gen pastors and rather than first gen pastors. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think um, that, you know, I felt challenged by the Lord, you know, that when, when I felt like God told me to be a pastor, I remember I had a really honest conversation with the Lord and I was like, God, I would be a terrible pastor, right? Like, my Myers-Briggs is like, I'm an INTP, which is, you know, like I'm a scientist or something like that. I'm an engineer where I just sit in a room, I think about complex problems, right? What I don't do is I don't like care about people's personal lives and like the minutia. And I was just honest with God. I was like, God, I can't remember people's names. You want me to be a pastor? Like that where I have to just constantly know people's names and care about them. And um, I, you know, I was just honest with the Lord. But this is an area where I've really felt challenged, like, okay, well, God, if you're going to have me be a pastor, you've got to grow me in this area, right? You've got to help me to really care about people. And so something over the years that I feel like I've grown in a lot, I still feel like I have major weaknesses in this area. But I, I say this to say that I have been challenged by the Lord. Hey, you know, like when Peter, when um, Jesus told Peter, you know, do you love me? So he feed my lambs, right? Like this sense of like, for his sake, Right? Will you try and care for these other ones and and love them well? You know, even in your weakness. And I've definitely felt that um, challenge from the Lord. And I do feel like for us, yeah, we have to try our best. You know, to care and f- spiritual parent. I, I tend to see myself more as like an older brother <laughs> than like a father, but like be like an older brother and like and care for younger believers as best as I can. And um, I'll just say like I I know that's what's valuable to people that I minister to, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, like I think some of my theology is really valuable, but I know that's not really what people are most thankful for my influence in their life, right? Mm-hmm. They're thankful um, because they feel like I care about them and I was, I was there for them at different times, right? It's always that personal investment is really the, you know, the secret sauce that mm-hmm. makes ministry effective you know, as deepest yeah. level and there's a need for that. Right. And so I hear you like, this is such, I, I just want to lovingly challenge um, younger leaders because we're talking about this Korean American inheritance. I felt like the Lord challenged me in this to really honor this. And the idea of an inheritance is that there's something valuable that has to be passed down. Yeah. Right. And we see with Esau, he, you know, he didn't 
understand how valuable this birthright was. So he's like super hungry one day, right? And he's like, okay, fine, you can have it. You know, I'll just have, I, I need this stew really bad. And God, and God hated that, right? Like you are despising this incredible blessing and you're trading it for a bowl of stew. And in the same way, that's what we're doing, right? When we say, yeah, Korean riches, I'm done with all that Korean stuff, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a, a multi-generational leader, something like that, or a multi-ethnic leader. And to be clear, I don't have a problem with multi-ethnic churches, but there is something about seeing the inheritance. And the way I see this is like the spiritual wisdom that was taught to our people, right, mm-hmm. from the Lord. The wisdom that was taught to our people, like I have to understand they paid for that, right? They they had their own experiences with God that they overcame. They received these great blessings that bless the whole people group and there has to be a value for that in my heart where i see how incredibly valuable that is and i say i'm not leaving without that right i've got to take that with me wherever i go and I'll, i'll say in the korean church i think there are many strengths but as we alluded to before i think one of the biggest ones is this prayer thing like the prayer is um i when i look at what made the Korean church so effective? And by the way, I do th- I think it was one of the most fruitful churches, right, in the past couple generations, the Korean church, right? They planted, like, they had more missionaries Absolutely. per capita than maybe any other people group in the past generation, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Incredible, incredible spiritual um, blessing on the nation. And number one, that's by faith, right? If you don't have faith, you're like, oh, yeah, there are a bunch of missionaries, right? Well, that's that's more a lack of faith, right? But if we say, hey, by faith, we go, look, it's an incredible blessing to have so much faith as a people group that they're planting churches all over the world that give themselves for the kingdom of God. And that is an incredible blessing. But what made them so fruitful? I have to think a huge part of it is this devotion to prayer. And so I remember my mom told me, like, I, I remember I was asking her, oh, yeah, does that Korean church have morning prayer? And she just looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, <laughs> if they don't have morning prayer, they're not a Korean church. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was that like, would be true. <laughs> I was like, Oh, like it's like that. It's like they all have morning prayer. And um and that's amazing. That is an amazing cultural value that is truly being despised in our generation because our generation doesn't want to do it. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I partly understand why. And um June number 1, I hate waking up that early in the morning because what it does <laughs> is it it kills your ability to fellowship at night. So if you're a younger person, a lot of the the fellowship stuff happens at night, right? And um, but if you have to do morning prayer, you have to kill all that, number one. Number two, I don't know how they do it at GMI. At Mile Church, what they did, they played the same track, like on repeat. <laughs> and it's just repeating. And they just blast that thing. And that and that's it. And you're expected just to pray over that. And the thing is, I, c- I can pray like that, mm-hmm. but... I feel like there are way better ways to pray. Like what I really love is if you have like an anointed worship team up there mm-hmm. who is like leading, you know, prophetically and dynamically, like it, it just so much more conducive to prayer. And, and I'm like, I remember feeling like, Hey, can we lead prayer sets sometimes? Like, you know, like, do we have to do this track over and over? And there's this thing where it's like, Hey, I kind of want to join for morning prayer, but it's just so much harder for me to pray in this context if we could do it a little bit more like this. But, you know, part of the problem in the Korean church is like, no, no, this is how we've always done it. <laughs> like, and you do it like this too. And um, these are like, these are real 
issues. I understand why some leaders are like, hey, is it really that important like that we do this? But my answer is going to be, yeah, I think it's really important that we take the heart of morning prayer. And, you know, I'm, I've been in like, on the house of prayer movement for the past, you know, 20 years now where I've been devoted to seeing houses of prayer rise. I see the Korean church as a type of house of prayer. They have a morning house of prayer, right? Where they're just devoted to it. And that devotion, I, I feel like we're not to let that go. We are to seek a double portion inheritance of their value for morning prayer. I The way I always put it is, hey, our parents prayed every morning. Now we pray for a double portion morning and evening that God would give us that kind of grace to have prayer sets going multiple times a day with anointed worship leaders, right, and anointed worship teams and incorporating prophetic worship and all of that. So when I look at um, the prayer movement, to me, that is honoring the the spiritual inheritance from the Korean church, right? Yeah. That's yeah. not the only thing, but I feel like it's yeah. a huge part of it. And so yeah. I am telling younger Korean American leaders, like, in my opinion, if you don't get a value for prayer, meaning you don't have a devotion to daily prayer like that, then you are despising your inheritance and you are, you're leaving behind one of the most valuable blessings of the Korean people group. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's grieving to the Lord. Like, we mm -hmm. can't leave it behind. We've got to at least take it with us. And if we have the faith to, to receive a double portion inheritance and, and I, I in the future, June, I want to see, I believe in the morning prayer movement. I, I believe in the, the house of prayer movement. I believe every church should be connected or host uh, a house of prayer, whether it be morning prayer, whether it be like upper room has like morning, afternoon, evening, you know, I hop model where they're trying to go 24 seven all the time, whatever. There's all these different models. I think they all have their, their uses, but some type of devotion like that, I feel like it's essential for leaders in our generation. Yes, I agree. Uh, Jesus, I, I think probably the most quote unquote unchristian uh, moment in Jesus's ministry was when he flipped over tables and started making whip. And I mean, can you imagine someone actually doing that at a church? We would like grab that guy and tell him he's crazy and, and like <laughs> kick him out, right? That's pretty much how lunatic Jesus was. And because he was infuriated by what was going on in the temple, of course, he said, hey, my house shall be called the house of prayer for, yeah. for all nations. Yeah. And so we understand that if there is no prayer, it is not God's house. If yeah. our church lacks, does not pray, then, then we have to understand that prayer is not very vibrant. I mean, there are definitely strong pockets here in the States, but as a whole, it's not. If you go to a lot of persecuted nations or third world countries with Christians, like it's very common for them to pray three hours a day. And so even if we were to quote unquote despise our inheritance, I mean, just for the sake of being Christian and being vibrant in our faith, I mean, obviously prayer is, is just a essential part of it. And the reality that we have such a lack of it shows that we're really not that dependent on God. And we have all these programs as substitutes. And, and, and so we see very little power in the church. And so yeah. I think like, like I share with you, you know, um, especially here in SoCal, 
there's a lot of churches that are growing and thriving that a lot of second gen Korean Americans have planted and so forth. And again, like I celebrate that. And I, I think the Korean community should celebrate that instead of being like, oh, we're losing these second generation because it's just a natural evolution of things. And I really believe, Dennis, that a lot of the vibrancy that we see in the faith of the second gen is actually due to the prayers of the first gen. So they may have lacked in certain models of mentoring or, uh, you know, in certain areas. But like, I really believe that we're benefiting so much from the prayers of the first generation. Like you mentioned, you go to a typical college campus and you'll see that, wow, like half the Christians in this campus seem to be Koreans. And so I think obviously there is, um, I mean, even if there's Pan-Asian and, and there have been successful churches that Chinese Americans have planted and in different models, obviously, but I do see there's like a real vibrancy still in the second generation, but I'm not so sure that that will be the case to the third and fourth generation necessarily. I think we actually can look at other communities like the Chinese Americans or the Japanese Americans who have by and large a much longer immigration history than us. And if you go to little Tokyo now and you go to a church there, I kid you not, you will not find someone under like 80 years old there. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of the spiritual vibrancy that the first generation Japanese American, Chinese Americans had, a lot of it really died down after yeah. succeeding generations. Yeah. And I feel like there's a model for us to learn from like, okay, like we can't afford to do that. And I think honestly, it's kind of like, I use an analogy, like if your parents have flown all over the place and they have all these extra miles, like we're kind of flying on those extra miles that they've accumulated, but then we're not creating our own miles to pass down to another generation. And we're just kind of using up a lot of what they have prayed and sown into. And so I think it's essential for us, whether we stay in a Korean immigrant church context or plan our own churches. And yes, the faith is going to be expressed in different ways, in a way that's more culturally relevant to our people. But if we don't have that prayer vitality, then I think we're just following the ways of some corporate megachurch model that yeah. uh, is not really... Um, yeah, um, what God desires. I I totally agree with that. I totally agree. I look. I I hate. I'm just gonna be blunt. Okay. I hate the corporate megachurch model. I'm not saying there's no place for it, but the way that it has become like the dominant picture of what a successful church is supposed to be, I just think that's absolutely false. That is a worldly value that we would honor. Um, you know, numerical size, right? As the end all be all of fruitfulness. And look, in this in this era of mega church model, we've lost the nation. <laughs> like the fruit of this model, in my opinion, is terrible. Right? This like church growth at all costs model type of thing. And you know, I, I don't. I, I want to speak carefully here because we're talking in big picture. I'm not trying to say that every pastor of, of these churches is doing a bad job or something like that. I just think a lot of it is fool's gold. Okay, I think a lot of it is fool's gold. And this is the problem here. Would we have so many, you know, younger Korean American leaders in this context that we're talking about saying like, hey, I want to build that model, right? Why? Because it looks successful. You got big buildings, you got like 
you know, lots of people. You get invited to conferences to speak and, and whatnot, all this garbage in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what success looks like. And I'm like, no, 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 no. In my opinion, I would rather have a congregation of 100 where the people are vibrant in their faith and they're, they're, we're not compromising on areas of holiness and we're really trying to, you know, uh, there's a high level of spirituality. I would much rather have that type of congregation than a congregation of 500 of largely lukewarm believers or something like that. And to be clear, I'm not trying to say that every megachurch is lukewarm, but I am saying that that model lends itself towards it doesn't matter if they're lukewarm right it doesn't matter the quality of believers you're really aiming for just as much like more 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 something like that and you're leaving behind what i think is something like uh, jesus did not leave behind a great organization okay he left behind a handful of people with deep spirituality mm-hmm. and that i just think the way we understand fruitfulness is different than the way the biblical model gives it to us and in the context of this conversation, yeah, when I look at the Korean church, I think the more that we've embraced, you know, these paradigms of, you know, because this is pop- in a lot of Korean churches, it is a number, it has become a numbers game. Yeah. And I feel like the more we embrace that idolatry of ministry, the less spiritual fruitfulness we're going to have. And I think that's what, that's part of what has happened here. And we've got to recover the the spiritual roots of what were our forefathers after they weren't they were not necessarily after trying to build like the nicest ministry or something like that these are people who you know laid down their lives to go plant churches in remote areas who gave themselves to morning prayer so many um leaders who are not famous but gave themselves all these harmonies, right? They're, they're, they don't have their name written on the wall anywhere, but they were faithful in the place of prayer for decades, right? All these leaders who served faithfully um, with no glory for themselves, but they did it for the sake of the kingdom. Like this is is glorious and honorable and wonderful. And I, I'm I'm concerned that in our generation, it's all with all of this social media, inst- becoming you know having a huge Instagram following, all this kind of garbage. What happens is we trade the great blessings of our forefathers because we want this 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 sad counterfeit of real fruitfulness, in my opinion. And I, I'm just appealing to our brothers and sisters, look, we have a great inheritance. Again, when we look at the UCs and you look at how many how look at all of the strong believers on the campuses, you're gonna find a huge percentage of them are Korean. Right. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means the Korean churches, in my opinion, are doing one of the best jobs of discipling the next generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm not yeah. trying to say we do it well or perfectly, but I'm saying we're doing a lot better than most of the churches. Mm-hmm. Look, you go to a lot of mega churches. You know what their children's programs are like? They have video games and they got like they have like the, the coolest stuff for their kids, man. I'm telling you, like they have entire indoor mm-hmm. playgrounds and all this kind oh, of yeah. stuff. But is it producing strong disciples of Christ? And my answer is going to be, I think the Korean church has been doing it better. Yeah. And so when we see that, actually, there's a huge gap between the Korean speaking and the English speaking side. And there's not a whole lot of direct discipleship. Uh, I can only point that back to prayer. It's yeah. not like we got better programs. It's not like we got like such incredible discipleship models. I really believe that the vitality of the prayer 
and God answering those prayers. And, and that's why we as second generation Korean Americans should really honor the first generation because we're uh, swimming uh, in the graces uh, of their answered prayer. You know, yeah. there may be a lot of things that they didn't do well, but man, they, you know, they, they came before God's throne uh, yeah. to intercede on our behalf. And, and for that, we should be eternally grateful. Yeah. So, so yeah. So June, mm -hmm. why, why would we be looking at quote unquote American megachurches being like, oh, we want to be more like that. Shouldn't those <laughs> American megachurches be looking at the Korean church and the fruit uh, that is being produced in the younger generations and mm -hmm. be like, wow, we want to be more like that. I think there should be more, more of that type of, you know, aspiration. I think we're always kind of drawn to the new. And so we kind of have this way of like, oh, you know what? We have new models and new ways of doing things. And uh, not that we shouldn't adapt and, and come up with certain new things. Uh, but yeah, so it just it, it has a lot of more pizzazz, you know, those models. And especially if we've been hurt in that Korean church context and there are things that we got put off by then again, we tend to have an overreaction against it. And so then we think like, oh, these white churches where people are like a little nicer to me, like, it will, you know, <laughs> it draws us. And, yeah. and again, I'm not to dismiss any of those strengths and whatnot, but I think what we see in the mega church model, uh, both here and actually, especially in Korea, is a product of uh, not discerning Christian values well enough from worldly values. And so we have these worldly models of success and so we kind of build it upon that. And so it's really unfortunate because the church has always been called to multiply instead of just adding people. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't really see too much of that multiplication uh, discipleship methods or, or, or spirit uh, in many of our churches. Yeah. Yeah. I, look, I just want to encourage young, you know, Korean American leaders. Like, I think you might belong to the strongest heritage of Christianity in America right now. And, you know, obviously I have to say that with humility because I'm, I'm not super familiar with all the different heritages of faith. But I am saying there is something that is really valuable in the Korean American church from God's perspective. And we we have, if, if we're constantly despising and look at only at the weaknesses of the Korean church, and to be clear, I do want to talk more about the weaknesses because <laughs> there are a lot of weaknesses. Um, sure. But th these strengths are truly important to God. They're truly valuable. And this is part of what it means to honor our inheritance. And I, I tell you, I spent, you know, another six years in the Korean church later on pastoring. And um, yes, there's lots of weaknesses. And I, let's talk about them in a second here. But I just want to, before we get into the discussion of the weaknesses, I want to say, look, our strengths, in my opinion, are phenomenal. Are phenomenal. Like, amazing. I think that these megachurch pastors should be studying Korean churches, all right, mm -hmm. of how it is that we are producing so many strong younger believers, right, that are bearing great fruit in a lot of ways in the high schools, in the the um, college ministries and things like this. Um, now, we do, uh, what I tend to see is after college, there tends to be a, a difficult transition in a lot of Korean churches, which we can talk about in a second. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, this is this is valuable, okay? And yeah. then, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's let's be honest about the weaknesses too, because I think we mm -hmm. all, you know, we know that there yeah. are many. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think one of the weaknesses that was very apparent to me when I was serving in a Korean church is, you know, um, I remember another pastor put it to me like this: that what you have is you have the elders of the Korean church have the power, 
mm-hmm. but really biblically they're not elders they're deacons right 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 biblically they're mm-hmm. deacons they're handling the mundane affairs of the church right mm-hmm. and that's the whole idea the reason why de- the the office of deacon was created was because the elders which are like the pastors were like right. hey we're it's not right for us to be worried about waiting tables right is what peter said right we have to be focused on prayer and the word Mm-hmm. And that's what elders do. They focus on prayer and the word, and they're the ones who are supposed to have the authority in the church, right? Um, because they are hearing from the Lord, receiving wisdom from the Lord, and they're helping to lead the church, and the deacons are to help them. But I think one thing that I've seen in the Korean church, and it's probably true in a lot of churches, is that it, it, the power is oftentimes flipped around where the deacons are called elders, and they're given the power, they're given the keys you know, to hiring and firing the pastors and all this kind of stuff. And what that creates is a power imbalance where the, the church has become very worldly and very overly concerned with things like finances. And there's fights about money and there's fights about, you know, who I want this pastor in. Oh, I want this pastor. And, you know, it's like, and this is, I think, a huge reason why there's so much conflict and splitting in the Korean church and all this kind of stuff. Now, every church is different. So, you know, I, I want to be clear, you know, it's it's hard to paint with these broad brushes, but I am trying yeah. to talk in generalities. And I and I feel like I've seen that to be generally true. We all know there's a reputation in the Korean church. We have some messy splits. You know, there is a lot of division and politics and infighting. And I've seen that at a lot of different Korean churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think part of it may be also because of the prevalence of Presbyterian churches and the way that their government is, where the elders do have a lot of power. Uh, Secondly, I think in the immigrant Korean American church context, one of the things that we should be aware of is that a lot of these um, first generation immigrants, like they may have graduated from like the best schools in Korea and they may have been something special there, but then they come to the States and they like have a liquor store or a laundromat or like they, you know, have menial jobs. And so really for the Korean speaking first generation, the only place in society where they had some level of, um, power so to speak was in the church because there are nobodies in american society and so a lot of that politics infighting really came because that was the only place of significance that they could establish in american society and so that kind of contributed to the unhealthy nature of some of those things and again i think uh uh a lot of the weakness of the Korean culture. I mean, it was called the hermit kingdom, right? And and with a lot of Confucian values. So then it's all about your family. It's very territorial. And so one of the things that grieves my heart, honestly, as much as Koreans have done a phenomenal job of, of doing things in the mission field, is number one, they make some of the same ethnocentric mistakes that Western missionaries made, you know, 100, 200 years ago that they could have learned from by reading a book. But they make the same mistakes, especially looking down on people groups uh, where they are, you know, Korea is a lot wealthier than most countries now. So a lot of that stuff, obviously, the hierarchical nature uh, of things and and uh, so it causes a lot of fighting. I, you know, I remember going to Haiti and there were three mes- missionaries I knew there and all three of them hated each other, you know, and I just thought, you know, this is such a broken model. Like, I really just don't want to be a part of this. And so there is a lot of that territorial spirit there that really obviously causes a lot of bad things. And so, you know, people come to a Korean church, especially if they're not Koreans and they feel like, 
I mean, they're not welcomed, and and how Koreans can be so cliquish, and and uh, it's really part of the culture. It, it's the Hermit Kingdom, that territorial, that that family, it, you know, only your family kind of a thing. And so that's one of the things. Unfortunately, I feel like uh, we in the second generation we kind of learned that from the parents, uh, and but we need to break away from that. Uh, sure. We have no need. Like we understand why our parents need to go to a Korean church, uh, and, and they don't feel comfortable associating people who are predominantly English speakers, which is almost all of American society. But like for us, we don't need to follow that script. But we see a lot of that clickishness continue to be replicated into the next generation, and so a lot of us who grew up, say, in places like right here in OC, North Orange County, where there's a lot of Koreans. Um, again, we kind of show that same kind of ethnocentric clickishness that I really believe God is trying to call us out of, uh, because I believe that there is such a great call of God upon the Korean American second, third gen people. Mm-hmm. I think not only do we, I mean, my parents always used to tell me this as Korean as they were, they would always be like, "Hey, you're a Korean American. Learn the good stuff from Korean culture and learn the good stuff from American culture and make that yours." You know, yeah. and I believe that that they were spot on in that kind of thinking. And I think as second generation Korean Americans, like I think some some of us really devalue who we are. Like we're just like a small minority group in America. But again, like it's because we don't understand our inheritance. And we have this incredibly rich spiritual heritage, but we're here in the states too. So we speak English, and if people have traveled anywhere in the world, they know that that is one of the greatest assets you can have uh, to be able to speak English. Um, we have a Western education, with even though it has definitely its flaws, but like there's a real education that we have received. We're naturally bicultural, so we can flow in different contexts easily. There's just so much that I believe God has given to us, and ultimately, I believe for second gen, third gen Korean American Christians, um, the decision is ours to make: Are we going to pursue the American dream, or are we going to really follow Kingdom dreams? And if we're going to do the latter, I really believe, believe that God has equipped us with so many things and resources that we can be used mightily for God's kingdom. But again, I don't think that will start until we get the prayer part right. We could have yeah. all the intellectual stuff, and we could have all of these different, you know, resources and, and talents we bring to the table. But unless we learn how to uh, you know, come before God in prayer, I think all of those talents will actually be wasted. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, this is this is a big one. And it's the issue of of mammon, the love of money. Right. I think we see this um, pretty strong. First of all, this is a universal struggle. Right. Every church struggles with this. Um, but it is a strong one in the Korean community. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly why. I've heard some theories. Right. A lot of, you know, a lot of people moved from Korea to America specifically so that their kids could go to good schools, right, and get good careers. So in a lot for a lot of people who did this, you know, in a sense they were moving for worldly reasons. They were moving for career reasons. They weren't necessarily moving here, you know, because they felt the Lord told them to go or for a sense of mission and something like that. Now some did to be clear, but what you generally have is you have this very high priority in Korean culture in general um, for education. And that in and of itself, to be clear, I think is, is actually a good thing. It's a healthy thing, but not when it's put before the kingdom, right? And what we saw in Korean culture is that 
if you have a strong devotion to prayer, then I think what tends to happen is you, you get burdens from his heart, right? If you have a strong devotion to prayer, you get burdens from his heart. And I think the devotion to prayer naturally leads to a burden for mission. Okay, I think yeah. those two things are oh, yeah. inextricably connected and linked. And so that's why I think when missions organizations lose their value for prayer, they start to lose their heart for mission. Okay, And I've seen that with a number of different missions organizations. Um, in particular, like I'm, I'm looking at crew these days, right? Mm. Bill Bright, the founder of, of Campus Crusade for Christ, had an incredible value for fasting and prayer, right? Yeah. Incredible value. I don't see that in this generation of crew leaders. And there's lots of them. So I'm sure many of them do have it. But in a sense, I see them like the Korean church, right? Where they had this incredible heritage of prayer and fasting. But this upcoming generation, they don't have that same value. And so what's happening, they're losing that burden for mission. And and I feel like what replaces it is this desire for worldly success, right? Yeah. And so this is huge. I remember um, there was a student in our youth group back at TKC who um, who got into a very prestigious school. And I, I was talking with him about it. And um, I could see within like 10 minutes, oh, this is an idol in his life, right? Mm. And I was like, hey, don't go to that school. <laughs> I was like, give it up. And, and I just remember he looked at me like I was kind of crazy, but also really scared, right? And I was uh -huh. like, hey, look, I think it's an idol in your life. And I think if you go there and give into that idol, I think you're probably going to die spiritually, mm. right? But scripture says everything is garbage compared, right, to knowing Christ, and so if you give up this idol, if you say, God, you're more important to me than going to this great school, right? Mm -hmm. Then what will happen is you will go to a whole new level in your relationship with God. You'll go to a whole new level of faith if you do this, right? And, um, you know, he looked at me like I was, I was crazy. He was super scared, right? And he Did decided... Did his parents to kill you? I mean, <laughs> this is the good thing about not speaking Korean. I just go like, oh, I don't understand. What are you trying to say? <laughs> you know, but yeah, I did get some threats from parents through the years, right? I had a, I had an issue where an elder told me to stop telling kids to be missionaries, and um, you know, I just told him no, essentially, and he got really upset with me, and I had to have the meeting with a parent, you know, who's like was upset that I was influencing his child to be a missionary, and um, anyways, look, stuff like that, I'm not gonna back down. I'm like, look, I'm not telling anyone to go be a missionary. I'm telling them to obey the Lord if the Lord tells them to be a missionary. Shouldn't you be telling them that, elder? Right? If you're not telling that, you should not be an elder. That's my that's my understanding of the scriptures. Okay? But to be really clear about all of this, this is a major problem. When we have, uh, look, I'm just going to be blunt. That elder, okay, it seems to me that he had uh, a spirit of mammon, right? An idolatry of mammon. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's a problem. We have to root out all those elders in the church. Th those people should not be elders, okay? Because scripture, you know, Jesus says, if you love money, you're going to despise him, yeah. right? And if you love him, you're going to despise the love of money. That's how it should work. And in fact, what we see in scripture is the elders are like poor fishermen, you know, like Peter and stuff like that. And what happens? They run into Simon the sorcerer who wants to use the power of God, right, for his own sake, and they rebuked the heck out of him. Like one of the harshest rebukes is where you thought you could buy the power of God with money, right? And honestly, that's a we need to rebuke the heck out of leaders in the church who are compromising on the kingdom of God and putting the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God comes first, all right? And it's a problem 
that there are so many people in the church that don't have that priority um, because, again, this is part of our heritage. All right, we come from a heritage of people who gave up everything to follow the Lord, and that is is one of our most incredible blessings. And we cannot despise that by now saying that you're just as successful if you go to Harvard or something like that. In my opinion, Harvard is garbage, okay? I think Harvard is garbage. Now, to be clear, working hard is valuable, all right? Studying is valuable. But the name of your degree is not impressive to God, okay? God is impressed by faith and by putting his kingdom first. And to be really clear here, because I'm not saying everybody needs to go into ministry or some such like that, okay? But I am saying you have to prioritize the kingdom, and that has to be a strong value in the body. And what we see is that huge portions of not just the Korean American church, but of the the Korean church have so idolized worldly education and career, I tend to feel like, I feel like God has given over our people to this now. And like, this is, you know, uh, Marxism is coming out of the universities. And what you see in Korea is that I hear Marxism is really popular there now, like the younger generation. And I feel like what's happened is God has given over, you know, um, the Korean people to this idol um, in some ways. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, say everyone's like that, obviously, but I generally do see a pattern here. And I would lovingly say to our, you know, our, our people, you've got to kill the love of money. You've yeah. got to kill it in your people because it, it is a serious idol and it's, it's, it's destroying. Like I hear all the time. Why can't, why can't I pray? Well, I've got to study. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. <laughs> and Look, I want you to do all your studies, but I want you to do better in your personal devotion to the Lord. Yeah. Well, um, I think part of the reason why we see the lack of vitality in the churches, even here in the States, is because of mammon. And also in Korea, we're seeing a lot of high-scale corruption in the churches, and I think a lot of that happens to, to, to do with uh, money. Now, I mean, of course, in a society, a consumeristic uh, society that we live in now, when we equate success with money, uh, when we really think about the word success, actually, it has nothing to do with money. There's no relationship between those two words, but that's just how we naturally just perceive it, which is unfortunate, of course. But um, I think uh, I, I do say this to some of the parents. You know, I won't say this so much to the kids as much, but I sometimes say to say to the parents like. Part of the reason for seeing a lack of uh, wholehearted, dedicated second generation Korean Americans, of course, we have a lot who are, but there's also a lot who don't. And because we, that's how we discipled our kids. So yeah, we took them to church, but in the home, we discipled them with worldly values. We discipled them with get good grace, go to a good school, make a lot, get a good job, make a lot of money. And that's all they've been hearing at home. And so we discipled them in that way. So I believe that there has been a real loss of second generation Korean Americans to that value when they were raised in the church. And I think, uh, so I grieve, I, I pray for, I pray for America every week. I pray for Korea and I pray for North Korea every week in my life and, um, in my recent life. And, uh, when I pray for the Korean church, I, I grieve over uh, 
the idolatry, the 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 money, uh, because again, like we syncretize worldly values with Christian values, and we just think this is it, and that's why mega church pastor, you're the best, and and I, it, it's as old as from biblical times when Moses warned the Israelites before they enter the promised land, hey, when you go into the land of milk and honey. Uh, and you are prosperous, like, lest you forget the Lord your God. He says, make sure you keep right. these statutes. And I feel like Korea is one of the great miracles, right? Economic miracles of the 20th century, probably number one, but alongside maybe Germany and, you know, some of these war-torn nations that became superpowers uh, economically. And I just feel like the Korean church, which was birthed out of uh, tremendous pain and struggle, uh, in one generation went from the poorest to one of the richest countries in the world. And we forgot the God who gave us that prosperity in the first place. Absolutely. And so now we are worshiping that mammon. And now, unfortunately, in Korea, in the young population, like people in their teens and 20s, their attendance to church is now in the single digits. And I grieve over that. And, you know, Dennis... Um, there was a time when I actually cried because I, I guess I was a little bit out of touch with what was going on in Korea. And when they polled the people in Korea, how many of them wanted reunification with North Korea? That percentage was so low. And especially it was lowest amongst the youngest people. And I literally cried while I was reading it because I felt, well, there is no country that knows better of what's going on in North Korea and what those people go through than the people in South Korea. We're one ethnic group. Those are our brethren. And and the whole reason, of course, I totally know why they don't want reunification because now you have to bear the burden, economic burden of one of the poorest countries in the world. And now you have to cover all of that. And when you are a country that idolizes money over everything else and worldly success, that's such an inconvenience to you. And I thought, mm -hmm. my goodness, like the lack of humanity and values, like, and, and, and so, which is crazy because Korea had this incredible Christian movement, but it hasn't been able to affect the culture very much. And so they can't get out of these values. And so when I look at Korea, I grieve over that nation as much as I love it because I believe Korea has the ultimate culture of death. They have the number one abortion rate in the world from what we know. Um, suicide rate is extremely high. Their education system sucks a life out of these young people. No one's having kids anymore because, again, kids don't equate worldly success, getting the high careers, the high pay. Yeah. And so these things are actually a hindrance to life. And so uh, it's a society that has so many ills and in, in what I think is like this culture of death yeah. that is overwhelming that nation, which is why I can't help but pray yeah. uh, for the nation, for the motherland. But um, and so, yeah. I'm talking about an extreme example of a nation, but I mean, let's be very clear here living in America with incredible amounts of materialism and consumerism uh, to all of our young listeners here, like, hey, uh, you need to kill that mammon spirit. Yeah. And one of the things I've been harping on on our college students recently is to tithe. 
And I told them as Christians, if they can't tithe, they will never be able to break up that idolatry of money out of their lives if they can't do just that. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, I agree 100% with you, man. Everybody wants to be K-pop stars now. Yeah, and, and you know, young pastors, I will say this, like, you know, your Instagram, like, you're, get out of this platform mentality. It's so stupid when Christ has called us to die to ourselves and to pick up the cross. Like, I see so much of this celebrity Christianity junk, you know, whether it's uh, worship leaders, whether it's pastors, and they're always trying to get that platform and following. And I'm kind of like, what What are we losing? Like, what are we missing out on in what Jesus taught? And what kind of values are we buying into, you know, in, in this day and age? So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I've heard a number of times now in Korea, like, that— you know, somebody wanted to marry somebody, but they're at different, like, socioeconomic statuses. And, like, that's, like, a no-go in Korea. I remember hearing that and being like, are they freaking idiots? Okay? Like, I, I, <laughs> just this anger. This anger. Like, how shallow. How ridiculously shallow. And these are, you know, in many cases, even Christians are, are hold these same mm -hmm. values. I'm like, Unbelievable unbelievable that this and and i hear what you say like they don't have kids anymore yeah i'm like is your kid like your dog right you just want a nice dog to play with it's not for you all right your kids are not for you to make you happy all right your kids are for the propagation of your species right like like it's to pour into the next generation and this selfish this selfish ambition is so destructive and because it's short-sighted all right the people who the people who disciple nations are the ones who have children and disciple them well yeah agree that's what it comes down to if you don't have children you ain't gonna disciple ain't nothing right because you're gonna die out with you you gotta have children and I, by that i always mean physical and spiritual children yeah. and you have to disciple them okay and whoever disciples their children well, disciples the next generation. And you have to have a long view. And this is the, the, the utter stupidity, okay, of this worldly wealth is what our spiritual forefathers did is they gave up everything to be impoverished to serve the kingdom. And God blessed them and their children and their children's children are now some of the richest people on the planet. And they are despising their inheritance. They're living only for themselves. And they're not going to pass down any blessing or inheritance to the next generation. So they're going to kill all of the blessing that was given to them. And that's, that's what's going on. And our young people are idolizing this kind of garbage. All right. Let me tell you something. The anointing that was given to the Korean people. It's the same thing with the American people. You know how many worldly musicians get their start in the church? So many do, right? And I see this all the time where worship leaders, you know, they want to have like this big platform, you know, and they want to be like Insta famous and they want to have records. And I get that. I was tempted with some of the same stuff. Okay. I understand the temptations there. But this stuff, this is, it's a calling. It's a calling from God to do something that matters, right? To do something that has spiritual significance and eternal value. And we prostitute it away because we want to be famous in the world and things like that. And we want to be K-pop stars. And I just lovingly look, some of my students want to be K-pop stars. So I'm, I'm, I'm not intending to like <laughs> just hit them, you know, over the head. But I am saying that value 
please, for the love of God. All right. It is such a worldly, degenerate culture where you will be used and abused. You'll be famous. If you make it, you'll be famous for five seconds. All right. And you have nothing of eternal significance or value. And you're willing to trade what could be a great calling in God. And to be clear, God can call people into be K-pop stars, but not for the sake of becoming famous. All right. Not for the sake of, you know, letting people listen to, you know, a, a nice song or something like that. No, there's a calling on this generation. Oh, that you would give yourselves to the purposes of God. God is wanting to raise up so many amazing worship leaders. And it's a real calling because there's going to be a blessing that comes upon the entire people of God through the ministry of these amazing musicians that God is raising up. But one of the tests that you're going to have to pass is the test, that desire, that longing to be famous, right? Get rid of that thing. Be famous in heaven. Oh, I want my name to be known in heaven. I want I want to receive the glory that comes from God, right? Not the glory that's that's fleeting and that comes from people and that's all misappropriated. People are famous on the earth for the dumbest reasons, right? Because they have a pretty face or something like that. These things are not eternally significant, all right? And oh, I wish Oh, I wish that we would have a paradigm for being rich in eternity, for being successful in eternity, right? Because that's the that's the fame and the success and the riches that matter, right? Jesus rebuked the Laodicean church. You think you're wealthy, but you're poor, blind, wretched, and naked. You have no treasure stored up in the age to come. He said that, you know, the thorny soil, the seed that falls in the thorny soil, it the it's choked and it bears little fruit because of the anxieties of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And oh, if I could say that to the Korean church, to many people, obviously it's not just the Korean church, it's believers everywhere who are who value these types of things. And because of that, you're bearing such little lasting fruit for eternity. It's so much better to have, to be poor in this world and in this life and to be rich in God. And I owe that we could get that kind of vision like our spiritual forefathers had. And some of the greatest heroes of the age that will be celebrated in the age to come are people that were nobodies on the earth, but were faithful in the place of prayer, that were faithful to give God their lives, that went to distant mission fields. Some of these people, you know, they barely had any fruit in the sense that barely any converts. You talked about like the first generation of missionaries that went and died. That's usually how it is, by the way. Right when fruitful mission work, oftentimes the first generation dies. Okay, they sow the seed with their blood. Okay, and next generation bears great fruit because of the death of the martyrs, and that's glorious from heaven's perspective. Oh, that we would get this perspective and recover these things. And um, June, I, I want to close with this because I know we've been going a little while. I want to thank you for taking so much time to to speak with me. Um, We'll talk about the, a little bit about the future of the Korean church. And I just feel like this past year has been a season of pruning in the church. You know, the lockdowns, everything. So many churches are so much smaller <laughs> than they've been. Um, lots of, I've seen, I've heard lots of EMs have just shut down completely. Um, this has been a pruning in the body of Christ. And I always said that, you know, the problem wasn't that Gavin Newsom thinks the church is inessential. The problem is that the believers themselves think the church is inessential. And that has been going on. And I think a lot of these believers who had come to church, they're not coming back, a lot of them. 
All right. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to estimate that when I would speak at groups, usually I think about one third of the group has real faith. You know, usually two thirds of the group, they're very shallow in their faith, or to be honest, they're not even believers, right? They're just coming for cultural reasons and stuff like that. Now, every church is different, right? Some groups have higher degrees of faith, but I usually generally estimate like that. I think what's happened is we've lost about a third of the church, if I had to guess, over this past year. I think they're just going to be cut off, really. They're going to watch some online stuff, but they're not really going to come back to the church. And I think a third of the people that stop coming out, I think will start coming out again. I think they'll, you know, if I had to guess in round numbers, Mm-hmm. I think we've gone through a major pruning, and um, I, I would say I'm not discouraged by that. I think we need pruning. I think one of the biggest problems in the church is we've had such a, a fixation on numbers that we are not willing to do the things that we needed to do to prune the church. But when you don't prune the church, what happens is your culture suffers. You lose a culture of strong faith, and people who are unwilling right, who are resisting that culture of strong faith, what they do is they drag the culture of the church more towards lukewarmness, more towards, you know, spiritual mediocrity and all this kind of stuff. And and the problem is we're supposed to be pruning those people, people who are practicing sin and refuse to repent. They should be pruned from the church, in my opinion. They should be removed from the church. And that's actually really healthy because the way Paul puts it in, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, right, is a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? That's why I say I hand this man over to Satan who's committing this heinous sin, right? And you're celebrating how you're showing him grace, but Paul's like, no, you should have put him out of your fellowship. And what I've seen is that most churches are not willing to practice church discipline. Why? Because it looks like, oh, you know, no, we want to be welcoming. We justify it with a lot of that kind of language. But the reality is this is important. And if we will not prune, I believe that the Lord will prune for us. Right, and that's I think what has happened over this past year that God has been pruning the church, and so I say that I, I I'm actually hopeful. What I'm praying is that there would be a new wineskin, that there would be a new expression of Christianity on the earth. And look, I'm 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 not meaning to bash the entire church with this, but I am saying that much of the culture has been corrupted in a lot of churches. And what we need to do, I think the most important thing is to recover communities of strong faith, right? Where we're really running hard after God. And, you know, I, I say this, look, GMI, you guys have a special church. You have a special culture. I Very few churches I know of have your kind of devotion to prayer and to missions, which is one of the reasons why I really applaud um, you guys. But look, most churches, they, they've lost all their heart for missions. They've lost their heart for prayer in these things. And the most important thing is, oh, that we would recover these things, right? We don't need, God doesn't need a majority of people to, to shift the nation. He needs a remnant that will stand firm, right? That will stand firm and, and practice real holiness and devotion. And through a remnant, he could pour out his spirit. And just like in Korea, we could see the transformation of the nation, And that's what I'm praying for. We must have a revival, an outpouring of the Spirit for the mass repentance and reformation of our respective nations. And that's what I'm I'm praying for and believing for. I believe we are going to have a great revival, but my theology on this is I don't think it's enough to have a great revival. You can have a great revival but not see massive national repentance. I think the purpose of revival— is to bring national repentance and reformation. And I think if you have a revival that brings those things, then what happens is you have great blessing put on the nation for generations. But if 
if we have revival and we don't have national repentance and reformation, then I think we get even more judgment, which I think is what happened to the Jewish people in Jesus' times. They saw the miracles, they saw the signs and wonders, but they did not repent, and therefore there was a very harsh judgment afterwards, which Jesus alludes to in Matthew 24, right, the destruction of Jerusalem, all that kind of thing. So sorry, I'm, I'm, I just, that's a long question. But my question to you is where, where do you see this headed? And what are you hoping for in this next generation? We'll close after this. Yeah, Dennis, uh, maybe I should come full circle. You mentioned about the Kona gathering that we had, and I didn't address it too much in detail. But I remember the first night that we had there during worship, the Lord spoke to me. And, and what he said was, uh, you're, it's not happening in Hawaii by accident. Uh, it's happening because that's where your first forefathers actually came uh, to the States. The next day, I think you remember, uh, you know, Dr. Daniel Pack spoke and, and I, that word was so strong. I can't go into too much detail, but he was talking about the Korean Americans and, and how God really, God's view on them and how God wanted to use them. Uh, Dr. Uh, Robert O spoke and, and I had a little breakthrough moment there where he was showing the Google father, you know, in America and you had this white dad playing with this kid, but. He did it in, in Cambodian and how you, you had a son laying prostrate before the father and how these are both equal expressions of father. But growing up in the States, we always wanted our Korean dads to look like that white dad and how that caused so much conflict. And, and I felt like there was a little bit of breakthrough for me that I had misplaced ex expectations on my own father and, and some of that caused the conflict. But Ultimately, I remember one of the breakthrough moments for me there was when uh, Sando's wife Yuri shared about how in Maui there was like a monument that the first Korean Americans set up, the Korean American Christians, and basically it was a monument that said something to the effect of uh, how one of my uh, former youth students actually heard that story from me and he went to Maui and he took a picture and sent it to me. And, and, and what that monument said was, talking about how uh, this monument is to remind the next generations of how God has been so good to us. And we want to call um, the su succeeding generations to devote themselves to God's kingdom and his mission work. And I remember when I heard that, I, I cried so much and I didn't know why I was crying so much. But in that moment, I really felt like my Korean American Christian identity really made sense more than ever in my life. And I always viewed it like, you know, all these American missionaries gave, were martyred and gave themselves for the sake of the gospel in Korea, an unknown nation, an insignificant nation at that time. And so I felt like as a Korean American, and I hope a lot of the Korean Americans would, would hear this out or any other ethnic groups really like that we're really called to be a blessing upon this nation and not just to become, you know, like rich doctors and lawyers, but like a spiritual bless, spiritual blessing upon this nation. And I really, it resonated with me what those, you know, God um, reminded me of Hebrews 11, the whole hall of faith verse and how we have these, a uh, great cloud of witnesses, right, in Hebrews 12. And and I always saw, thought of those people like as the people in chapter 11, but he was showing me that these were like our Korean American ancestors uh, who may be nameless and faceless to us, but that they are these great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. And I really felt a heart connection there 
And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me in that moment too was, hey, some of these guys were the greatest freedom fighters for Korea when it was under Japanese annexation, when Japanese, J- Japan was running roughshod over all of Asia and was a superpower at that time, right? And he's like, you know, I answered those people's prayers of Korea being liberated even though it looks circumstantially impossible. And God gave me a renewed faith to pray for North Korea. And God was saying, hey, I will have my bride. And he was referring to North Korea and how um, even if it may look impossible in human eyes that my prayers for North Korea's liberation, and I don't give a, you know, I don't care what percent of just South Koreans want it or not. You know, I, I'm in it for God's kingdom. And, and we want to see a greater revival than even what Pyongyang experienced over a hundred years ago. And we know that there, we don't understand fully, but we know that there is God's plan and he's still sovereign over the nations in the midst of what's going on in North Korea and longing to see with my own eyes in my own lifetime. And I, I really believe I will that uh, that reunification will happen, that government will be toppled and that the gospel will just um, just ru- run roughshod over that nation uh, once again. And so again, coming back to our Korean American Christian identity, like we are here in this nation, not just to make a comfortable life over ourselves, but there is such a calling and anointing upon us who ethnically, we are part of a country that has sent the second most missionaries in the world. We live in a country and have been raised in a country that is a number one mission sending sending country in the world. Mm -hmm. East meets West. We have strengths from both cultures and, and, um, and Hey, I know stop Asian hate is, I understand it's going on. And yes, I understand racism. I've experienced it myself, but, um, you know how we talk about how we feel like we're constant foreigners in this land. They never really look at us as Americans. They always think we're like from, you know, and it's like, you know what? So be it. You know, we're aliens and foreigners, you know, in this land. And uh, if we don't find a home here, like we have a home, you know, built in, you know, not built by human hands right. waiting for us. And, and God is going to use us uh, to uh, the Korean diaspora, I believe, not only here in the States, but in other parts of the, uh, world, I just think there is a significance that we happen to be in the states, which are where the missionaries who brought the gospel to Korea are from, and that God is going to really use us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, mixing the deep spiritual inheritance that we've received from the uh, Koreans and the deep spiritual inheritance we have in America, where this nation really has been the fourth. Uh, forerunner of the gospel uh, across so many parts of the world and that there is an incredible kingdom um, work that God has assigned uh, to us. And again, it's just a matter of what we value, the eternal things or the temporal. If we're going to go for the American dream or the kingdom dreams, and I'm really butchering this like i mean i just don't have enough time to talk about the significance of god's heart for the korean americans and and the role that he's going to have us play but i really believe that we're called to be a catalytic people across the ends of the earth both in the east and west and god has equipped us with so much and given us so much and it's time for us not to keep those blessings to ourselves but to share that uh, with the world and that I really um, that's yeah. why I still have much faith and hope 
because yeah. of who God is and what he has called us to be. And I hope Korean Americans understand that we're not just some small people here in America who is this like little minority that doesn't have a voice. Like God has a strong plan for us. And I hope that all yeah. of us who are listening will be a part of that move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, June, I, I love your heart, man. Um, I feel like when I look at many of the leaders that I see arising um, in America that have a strong devotion to prayer, a lot of them are Korean. A lot of them are Korean. I just feel like there are a lot of people, relatively speaking, who are carrying that inheritance and are becoming a great blessing to the body. I I feel this. This is you know a prophetic feeling I have. It could be wrong. I feel like we are on a type of verge of a shift in the expression of Christianity. I feel like there is a new wineskin coming, and I feel like the heritage of prayer that was carried by the Korean people, that God is going to raise up many Korean leaders that are going to be carrying that heritage. They're going to be carrying a double portion anointing of their forefathers, what their forefathers won. And God's going to give them grace to impart that anointing to the wider body. I don't think it's just for the Korean people, but that's what I mean. We're supposed to take it with us. And I feel like that is going to happen in this next generation. To be clear, it's not just a Korean thing, obviously. Um, but in this next generation, I just feel like the devotion of the church to prayer is going to double, maybe triple. It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be huge in this next generation. What's going to do is going to bring such purity to the body of Christ. I, I, look, I think the great temptation for churches and ministries is to become more folks more focused on ministering to people than ministering to God. And I feel like when you mix up that priority, what ends up happening is you start to lose your anointing and the power and the grace of the of the Lord. And um but I feel like there's this great correction that's happening right now in the body and in this next generation, I think we're going to get many ministries and churches that are fixated on ministering to the Lord first. And there's going to be a grace to release power and burden for missions across the body. This is what I'm looking for, a great, a third great awakening. I think it's going to be bigger than just in America. I think it's going to span to Korea also. And I'm living for this thing. I am living for this thing. And I see other leaders, you know, I know a bunch of them, a bunch of them are my friends. And I'm so, I feel this sense of great pride and honor because these are leaders who have this devotion to prayer, right? This devotion to mission and seeing God's kingdom come and, and they're living it out in a real way. And so I just want to encourage um, the younger leaders who are, you know, listening to us, like, get this inheritance, get this DNA, don't leave it behind. Don't leave behind yeah. this passion for prayer and for missions and for reaching the ends of the earth for the kingdom. Um, June, one thing I wanted to do is just as we close here, I would love for us to pray actually, because I just feel yeah, like we're talking so much about prayer. Um, I would love it if you could, you know, start just pray and then I'll, I'll close this in prayer here. Father, we thank you so much. You have loved us and you have given us so much and you have blessed us. You have blessed our forefathers and you have brought us Lord God here to the States um, by your design and we just want to say yes and amen to you and I especially pray for our younger brothers and sisters that they would have a double portion of inheritance from uh, both the Korean uh, and the American side or whatever ethnicity they may be Lord God I pray that they will receive a great spiritual inheritance Lord God and especially that devotion to prayer and that you will start, Lord God, just an incredible move, uh, birth out of that place of prayer, 
and that many people will have the longing, Lord God, to be thrust into uh, the ends of the earth to take the gospel, Lord God, preparing your second coming. Yeah. So, Lord, would you bless the listeners? Uh, I pray, Lord God, that they will just be so connected uh, to their heritage and just how much that they really have received and that how much you long to use them, Lord God, uh, to bring your kingdom come upon this earth. Yeah. So, yeah, just bless them richly, oh God. And may we be people who take hold of the rich inheritance and live for eternity instead of the things in the here and now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we just say thank you so much. We just honor um, this heritage that we have. And, um, Lord, we know that every people group, every nation has its own heritage. And, and we're so thankful for all of them. But, Lord, we thank you for this one that was given to us, Lord God. And, Lord, we just choose to honor right now um, the Korean church the heroes of our past who gave up their lives, who gave up their privilege, who gave up their riches, their time, everything to serve your kingdom in prayer, to serve your kingdom um, in missions. Lord God, we just say that these are heroes. Father, I pray specifically for the younger generation that they would be able to look at this heritage of faith and see these men and women of faith as great heroes. Lord God, I pray that they would not be lost to the temptation of viewing worldly success um, as though it is true success. Father, I pray, give them eyes of faith. Lord, and I know that for many of them, they've been hurt, they've felt abused, and they felt used. I pray for grace to forgive, oh God, to forgive those leaders who have wronged them in different ways. And Lord, I pray that you would give them new eyes to be able to honor their forefathers to honor their spiritual leaders to appreciate their strengths but they would also have wisdom to be able to be safeguarded and protected from their weaknesses lord and lord we do pray that would take on a double portion inheritance lord god father we are asking for it lord god our parents yes, prayed every morning we pray for an anointing to pray morning and evening i pray that you would raise up houses of prayer all over the nation both in korea and in america that you would raise up 10 times the intercessors and the worship leaders lord god father i ask lord god that you would give us worship leaders that love your presence that would rather be doorkeepers in the house of the lord and in his tents than dwell in the tents of the wicked oh god we pray for the grace lord god to love your presence lord and father we just pray lord god Raise up these leaders, Lord God. Raise them up all over the nation now. I'm asking, Lord, for the youth pastors, for the, the staff leaders, even for the older pastors, I pray that, that if they've moved on without their inheritance, they would go back for it, Lord God. They would recover the glories of prayer and mission, Lord God, and that you would give us such um, a, a devotion to these things that we'd be able to carry them into the next generation. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing, Lord God. Lord, we say we're not going to be discouraged about the various hardships of this season. Um, I believe, Lord, that you've spoken to us that we're going to enter into another spring soon and that there's a new grace coming to the body. And I just pray for all those who are struggling, have been struggling in this past season. I just pray a fresh wind of encouragement, Lord God, that they would be filled with courage and vision and hope again for what is 
is coming. We just pray a breaking off of all discouragement, of jadedness, of cynicism. And we say, Lord God, pour out your spirit, God. We plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nations, O God. Lord, we pray end abortion, send revival to America, to Korea, to all the nations of the earth. Give us a third great awakening, a billion soul harvest, Lord God. Pour out your spirit in our generation. We say thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, June, thank you so much for joining us again. I always appreciate our conversations, and I appreciate all the ministry that you're doing. Thanks for being um, a great leader in this generation for our Korean-American church, man. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, just all that you're doing. Hey, uh, Texas uh, banned abortion that's all. Uh, for, yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of states, a lot of states yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. are starting to do um, anti-abortion legislation. We're seeing a real fight rise up, uh, you know, mm-hmm. which I'm so thrilled about and I'm mm-hmm. really happy about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> exciting stuff. Yeah. Sounds good, man. All right. Well, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you again. Okay. All right. Take care.